Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled you're with us. Nice, sunny uh, winter day out there. A little chilly. It seems about 30 degrees cooler than it was this time yesterday. Uh, but hey, uh, it's a sunny day and always something to celebrate. We're glad you're with us here on the Gun Guy Show. We've had a lot going on in the General Assembly, including this week. And uh, we'll give you an update. And frankly, all the news is good news. There were some challenges, but uh, we're continue, continuing to make progress in the Indiana General Assembly, and I want to get into that in some detail. Also want to say uh, thanks and give a shout-out to uh, all the folks that attended the sold-out. In fact, it was oversold. I have to I had to ask for some people to reschedule. Kind of felt like one of the airlines that uh, overbooked a flight. We actually sold more tickets um, than uh, what the room could hold, and so we offered some incentives to get people to reschedule. But we, we had an absolutely full room at Indy Arms for my Essentials of Indiana Gun Law class, and it was a it was it was a great group. They were very engaged, very attentive, asked a lot of questions, had a lot of interaction. Uh, but this is you know as you often hear me pitch here on the Gun Guy Show, uh, the class where we're talking about. Uh, Indiana law, uh, specific to owning, carrying, using a firearm, what's legal and what's not, and uh, and 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 it's always a fun class to teach, especially how many questions and challenges and hypotheticals you get. You know, if this happens, then what? And, it, and it's fun, and it kind of reminds me of doing the show uh, because you know we get a lot of calls that come in and uh, say, "Hey, you're uh, you're a." a two-way attorney. Uh, I've got a question about this, that, or the other thing. And the hypothetical scenarios are always a lot of fun. And we did that. It's a five-hour course. It's nine to two. And I used to say it was four hours, and but it always went over, especially with the amount of interaction and questions and whatnot that we get. Uh, but it was awesome. And in fact, because we, um, we, we had a bit of a spillover from that class, we, we've scheduled a class just three weeks from now. On March 16th, also at Indy Arms. So I'll mention that more at the break um, when I'm doing the ad. But if you're interested in this course or or um, if it's something that you, you're curious about, that is the laws associated with carrying a gun, uh, using a gun, when can you use deadly force in Indiana, uh, when can you lawfully defend yourself, someone else, your home, uh, your vehicle, uh, those are all the kind of issues that we address in this class. So we'd love to see you there. Um, and we'll talk more about that. But in the meantime, thanks so much to everybody who came out and uh, and attended. And a little bit, it was a light snow, but a little bit of a snowy uh, Saturday morning. And people still came out and we we packed the room and, and it was fun to see. 
Uh, in the meantime, speaking of laws, you know, what's legal and what's illegal in Indiana uh, is all directly controlled by Congress to some degree, uh, but also the Indiana General Assembly. And as I often say, you know, the folks who want to want to criticize our Indiana legislature, look, uh, you know, I've said it before, there are things to criticize. Whether you're talking about spending or taxes or whatever it might be, uh, there are legitimate bases to 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 criticize our lawmakers at the same time on the issue of the Second Amendment. And I've said this before, I will say it again, and it's really, it's playing out again this year. I would put our Indiana legislature, and I've been doing this a long time. I've been a lawyer for 40 years. It makes me feel really old to throw that number out. Uh, but I've been around doing this for a long time, and I'm proud of our legislature. I'm I'm proud of what we've accomplished. We, we've always got more to do, and it's not like we haven't hit some challenges. When it took us 10 years to get constitutional carry passed, for instance, I was real vocal about my frustration there and the fact that we had a Republican supermajority and we still couldn't get uh, the bill passed when, at the time, you know, we— became the 24th state to adopt constitutional carry or permitless carry. It's like, why are we so late? You know, we, we, we're always bragging about Indiana as a pro-Second Amendment state. Why is it taking that long? And, and, and the main challenge was, frankly, with the Republican majority. For a long time in the House, including the then speaker, who's a friend of mine, uh, and I consider her a good friend, but man, we disagreed forever on constitutional carry, Brian Bosma, and uh, and Brian's a good man, but we just happened to disagree on that issue, and we couldn't get it done, and we finally got support in the House, then we couldn't get it through the Senate. So it has not been without challenges, it has not been without frustrations. But having said all of that, in terms of where we are and where I see Indiana going, uh, in the foreseeable future, I like where we are on gun rights. I like where we are on Second Amendment rights. And 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 I'm proud to say, I think uh, at least some of the credit for that has to go to pro-2A individuals and organizations. It's one of the reasons I founded the 2A Project. Because, man, this week was solid. We, we had uh, two different hearings on two different pro-Second Amendment bills. And we had support, man. We had people show up. We had people testify. And for so many years, and you've heard me talk about this before, but it bears repeating. For so many years, we'd have a pro-Second Amendment bill or any bill that had to do with Second Amendment rights. It was getting a hearing. And I went through the whole legislative process last week. I won't repeat that. But 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 to to get a hearing in the committee that a bill's assigned to as soon as it's filed is the first step on getting it passed. And if it doesn't get a hearing, it's dead. It's over. And so once you get a hearing, then it gets very important that the bill then pass out of that committee. A majority of those committee members have to vote to pass that bill out of committee. And, uh, that can be a huge stage because some bills never get a hearing. A lot of bills, majority of bills, never get a hearing. A lot of bills get a hearing and don't get passed on by the committee. So we had two different 
committee hearings this week on House Bills 1084 and 1235. I've talked about these bills before. I'll talk about them more tonight. And man, we had people show up and showing up makes all the difference. As I, as I started to say, in years past, we'd have these committee hearings, which are so important. And it'd be a full room, be a packed room. I've got quite, I, I have pictures I put on social media and it's, and it's a full room and it's me and it's a guy from NRA and it's an entire room then full of ladies wearing red t-shirts with mom's demand action on them. And that was just incredibly frustrating to me. It's like, why is it this way? It shouldn't be this way. There are more of us than them. Why are they showing up and we don't? I think it's because it was communication and organization. That's why I started the 2A project. And it has paid off because people show up, man. They've got 2A project hats on and T-shirts, and they sign up to testify. Just being in the room can tremendously help. But we got that done this week. And the two bills that both got hearings and both got passed successfully out of committee both very pro-Second Amendment, our House Bill 1235, and both of these have already passed in the House. That's what's important. They've already passed in the House. Now they've gone over to the Senate, but the whole process starts over. So they have to, um, after they get assigned to a committee, they have to get a hearing. And if that Senate chairman doesn't schedule them for a hearing, they die. But it has to get a hearing. Then it has to successfully pass out of, of, of that committee. And at that hearing is when the public's allowed to come in and voice their opinions. And man, House Bill 1235, the other one's 1084. I'll talk both about both of them tonight. 1235 would end this Gary lawsuit. Lawsuit by the city of Gary against basically the entire gun industry, blaming the gun industry for Gary's problems with crime. And does that make any sense to you? I mean, the fact that Gary has a gang problem, is that the gun industry's fault? Well, that's the theory behind this lawsuit. This bill would end that. And man, we had the lawyers, I believe, from Philadelphia representing the Brady campaign who are funding this Gary lawsuit. They made the trip, man. They were here. We had the I don't know. I had people describe them as high-powered lawyers. I don't know that they necessarily came that came across that way to me, but come in and argue to the courts and, and and criminal law committee in the Senate why this this bill should not make it out of committee. And a lot of folks testified in support, but a lot of folks, including me, testified. Excuse me, the other way around. I started to say a lot of folks testified in opposition including uh, the Philadelphia lawyers that flew in. Uh, but a lot of us testified in support, and ultimately we successfully got that bill out of committee. And I'll talk more about that and uh, what that bill really means and, and, and the reason it's important. In fact, there was an announcement out of Georgia where Joe, Georgia is crowing, bragging about landing a major new corporate citizen, corporate resident, bringing a lot of jobs and a lot of money to Georgia where Indiana was never in the running to get those jobs, to get that company to move there. And it was because, specifically, of the city of Gary lawsuit. And that's what this bill attempts to fix in terms of similar issues going on 
down the road. In the meantime, uh, we're going to take a break. But listen, if you're curious about what's going on in the General Assembly, if you have other gun-related questions, give us a call as we always enjoy uh, taking our calls from our listeners, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. Give us a call here on The Gun Guy Show. We're on 93WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Second to none on the Second Amendment. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And as always, we love taking calls, and Anthony is called in. So let's go right to the phone lines. And uh, Anthony, man, welcome to uh, The Gun Guy Show. What do you got for us? Uh, good good evening. I hope it's going well for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've, got, I've got two questions. What, the first one has to do with the House Bill 1084. Uh-huh. There, was a, there was an amendment to it that took the attorney general out. Yeah, and I'm wondering if there's a way of hooking that back in, at least for part of that bill, because it kind of leaves a piece of that bill hanging out. The second one has to do with 1235 and the Republican opposition from Senator Liz Brown up in uh, Fort Wayne area. <laughs> and yeah. she's definitely afraid of her Kia Hyundai lawsuit getting tanked by the bill. Is there a way of helping her understand that there's a fundamental difference between Gary V. Glock and uh, and the Kia Hyundai class action lawsuit? Well, she seemed to be uh, under the impression that this bill would somehow affect the Kia lawsuit. And um, and listen, I'm not an expert on that lawsuit. And Anthony, by the way, it's Anthony Wayne. Thanks so much for calling in. Two good questions. I'll try to address them both. There's a lawsuit out there, and and I'll be honest with you. I, when I heard the discussion about the Kia lawsuit, I immediately assumed it's a lawsuit that because uh, Kias uh, are particularly easy to steal, there's a, a class action uh, uh, involving that issue. And if that's not it, I apologize because I've not looked into it. I've not looked at it at all. I just knew there was litigation on that issue. So I lumped it in uh, and assumed that was the case. But people were saying, well, if we pass this, it'll affect this Kia litigation. And it, it obviously absolutely is not true. Um, and she's just wrong on that. It has no bearing. It's specifically limited to... Lawsuits against the gun industry by a political subdivision has nothing to do with any other issue. And 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 that's why it was so ridiculous uh, for that point to be raised. But let's let's go a little broader. Because um, and as Anthony absolutely correctly says, uh, Liz Brown, Senator Liz Brown from Fort Wayne voted against this bill. And this is the bill that would end the city of Gary lawsuit. She wasn't the only one. Senator uh, Glick uh, from right here, um, I want to say Susan Glick, but I, I, that may not be correct. But Senator Glick from, I believe, Indianapolis also voted against the bill. And interestingly enough, both of these senators were senators that tried very hard in 2022 when we finally passed constitutional carry. They tried very hard to kill constitutional carry. 
Liz Brown, Senator Brown, I do not want to show her any disrespect. She, she's been elected as an Indiana state senator, and she deserves that respect. Senator Brown was openly antagonistic and has been for years to anyone supporting constitutional carry. And she, as chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, when we were trying to get through that committee in 2022, did everything she could to kill constitutional carry. This is a Republican from Fort Wayne. And maybe she feels like she only gets elected every year with a lot of liberal or uh, quasi-liberal voter support. I don't know. But she was, wasn't was just against constitutional carry. She was openly hostile, cross-examined. Some, some people would come in to testify, just people off the street, just Joe Public, who, who would step up and say, you know, I'm, I support this bill and here's why. And she would cross-examine them and start asking them legal questions like, are you saying this is unconstitutional to have a licensing requirement? I mean, just really aggressive and really adversarial in a way that was just, I thought, completely inappropriate. And listen, she's entitled to her views. She's entitled to vote the, the preferences and, 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 and morality uh, of, of her district as she perceives them. Morality is not, not the right word. The, 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 the legislative priorities of her district. And she is authorized to do that. She's been elected to do that. And I respect that completely. But to, to campaign saying you support the, the, the Second Amendment, um, to fundraise saying you support the Second Amendment, and then to be openly hostile to a bill like constitutional carry, I'm not sure how you circle that square. And then on this bill, 1235, that would end this ridiculous city of Gary lawsuit, she was openly hostile on that. And and again, same thing. I testified in favor of the bill. She was cross-examining me. Enjoyed that. I thought I had some fun with it. Actually, you can see the video. You can go to the Indiana General Assembly website and pull up the video. But yeah, I just don't quite get it. But but and she's not the only one. And there were other senators that opposed constitutional carry back in 2022. Bo Hatchett being another one voted against us. So some of these people who are quote unquote Republicans. Uh, don't vote that way when it comes to Second Amendment issues. And Liz Brown, I would put right at the top of that. Senator Liz Brown, I would put right at the top of that list. She she apparently dislikes me a lot because that just comes through. Uh, as my grandfather would say, you don't have to be a gypsy to read those tea leaves. I mean, it's not hard to interpret that she just really, really dislikes me. Uh, and that's because... Not only do I stand up for Second Amendment rights, but when she wants to be aggressively hostile toward me, I will respectfully respond in kind. And she's not going to bully me, not by a long shot. And I, 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 I'm absolutely sure she's learned that over the years. But that seems to me makes her not like me all that more. But that's fine. I don't care. But it also makes me question why we we haven't 
among the good citizens of Fort Wayne come, come up with a primary challenger to, to say this senator who has a consistent pattern of voting against us, not just voting, but but as chairman of the Judiciary Committee in, in the Senate, uh, going out of her way to kill bills, not even allow bills to get votes related to Second Amendment rights in Indiana, why the citizens of Fort Wayne allow this to happen, I don't understand. I don't get it. And maybe she's just being smart. Maybe she's just a lot smarter than me, and she understands who votes for her and where her, her votes come from. And maybe Second Amendment supporters are just not part of anybody she cares about. I, I do not know. And she keeps getting reelected, so obviously she's got something figured out. But when I see these Republicans be so openly hostile to Second Amendment issue, issues, it just makes me want to want to go to find uh, a legitimate primary challenger to say, here's someone who truly does support Second Amendment rights that we really ought to have here in the Senate, as opposed to someone like Senator Liz Brown. My personal thoughts on the issue. We're at the bottom of the hour. It's time to take a break. We're going to continue to take your calls. We've got James on hold. I got other people calling in. We'd love to take your calls as well. 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. Give us a call. We'll put you right on the air. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. The show about gun rights, gun safety, and responsible gun ownership. This is the Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIBC. And uh, welcome back to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. And uh, and by the way, I was thinking about the last segment, and I want to be clear. Um, Senator Liz Brown, who I was talking about from Fort Wayne, uh, was clearly antagonistic toward those of us, including me, who were there t- to testify in favor of House Bill 1235 in the Senate Courts and Criminal Law Committee. And uh, and and all of her arguments were about why the bill should not be passed. She did ultimately, interestingly enough, vote in favor of sending the bill on out of committee. Uh, but said specifically that she would vote against it on the floor of the Senate. So I'm not sure what her point was there. I think she's looking for some amendments. That would somehow affect the bill in a way um, that would uh, allow her to support it. So we'll see. But I didn't want to be unfair when I was talking about her um, opposition to that bill in that committee hearing because she did ultimately vote uh, in favor of sending the bill out of committee. So I'm going to be completely accurate on that point. Well, let's keep going. And I'll tell you what, before we go on to the other bill, 1084, that also passed successfully out of committee this last week, uh, James has called in and had a question. So James, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hey, Guy. I appreciate uh, you, everything you do. But sure. I'll give you this question. You've probably had it before, but... Unfortunately, it's coming back up again. Um, We have several soldiers that have went in for their medical readiness for whatever and um, have talked about PTSD, and it gets documented on their uh, medical records and everything. And about a year ago, this was hot and heavy in New York, but now we're starting to catch soldiers uh, outside of some blue states that actually are having state police 
coming and knocking on their door, asking them if they have guns after they've been to these medical readiness um, and, and mentioned that they have PTSD. I'm just wondering if you've heard anything on this and then maybe tell some of our, some of our soldiers what they need to do if this happens to them. Well, no, it's an important point, uh, James, and thanks so much for your call. Um, and listen, this goes back to the Obama administration as far as when we really started seeing this start to unfold. And it's really something that, that just absolutely infuriates me. And I've I've talked about it before. And listen, I never served in the military. Um, I was home safely on the couch um, when when soldiers uh, were out uh, putting their lives on the line uh, to protect our freedoms. Um, so I, uh, the respect I have for their uh, duty to this country and their sacrifice um, is just immeasurable and uh, something that, that deeply affects me. Um, so here's what is going on. There's a federal statute, part of the Brady Bill, that says you cannot possess a firearm if you uh, are, and this is really offensive language, and I hate this language, but it's right out of the statute, the federal statute. It says if you are mentally defective, (laughs) as ridiculously uh, offensive as that language is. And generally that's been interpreted to mean if you've been adjudicated, that means by a court or at least by some official tribunal, um, that affords some process um, that protects due process as required under the Constitution. And that's found you to be a danger to yourself or others. So, for instance, if somebody um, is committed and they're, they're, they go through a commitment proceeding and a court finds that they're a danger to themselves or others, then they fall within that definition in that statute that says you can't possess a firearm. Well, during the Obama administration, um, the Obama administration sent out a notice first to VA. And by the way, they also sent something similar to the Social Security Administration. And I'll talk more about this in a second. But they sent something to the VA and they said, listen, if you have soldiers come in and they get an evaluation of a diagnosis of PTSD and they receive a disability rating, on the basis of that PTSD, and and you can get a disability rating of a certain percent, and that can trigger certain VA benefits. And listen, like I said, I never served, um, and, and there's a lot of people out there, I'm sure, including James, who know more about this than me. But you get a disability rating, and and that and that can that prov- can provide you with some disability payments. The Obama administration took the position that if you had PTSD, and on that basis had received a disability rating. Um, that that meant you'd been adjudicated to be mentally defective. In other words, a danger to yourself or others, and there's no connection here. And listen, I've represented police officers, for instance, who've been diagnosed with PTSD, and it dramatically affected their lives. It made them uh, hyper-aware, hyper-vigilant, caused horrible nightmares and insomnia, and it really broke them down to the point where they were were non-functional in terms of doing their jobs, but they were never violent. They were never homicidal. They were never suicidal. And obviously, PTSD affects different people different ways. 
But you can have PTSD and not be a danger in any way, shape, or form to yourself or anybody else. It's just debilitating. And and keep in mind what we're talking about here with veterans. We're talking about people that have put themselves in harm's way and, 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 and watched fellow soldiers, friends, brothers, sisters get, get killed and horribly maimed in, in, in horribly just unimaginable ways burned and through explosions and losing limbs and all kinds of horrible things again not having served I can't even imagine and on that basis they're injured they're damaged in a way it's not unlike getting shot and some of them by the way also suffered physical injuries as well and also got the psychological injury of PTSD but it's an injury just as real as if you were shot or otherwise, you know, injured, physically injured. So on that basis, the Obama administration back um, during that term sent the, the, the Veterans Administration letters saying, uh, notification saying, listen, if a veteran gets a disability rating, then um, on the basis of PTSD, they're adjudicated to be def- um to be mentally defective, and they cannot possess a firearm. And some of these soldiers actually started getting letters in the mail saying, you're a prohibited possessor, you're not allowed to possess a firearm. And how infuriating is that? Here's someone who's put themselves in harm's way with a firearm, with a weapon, who knows, who maybe it's a tank or artillery piece, a drone, who knows. But they've gone off with a weapon and defended this country in order to protect your constitutional rights and my constitutional rights. And they come home with an injury they they suffered in the defense of their country. And they come home and they're told they've lost their constitutional rights under the Second Amendment. How completely heartbreaking is that and infuriating is that? And uh, the next administration, during the Trump administration, we had legislation get introduced that would cut off that completely and just say, oh, hell no. Because what Obama, the administration also did, by the way, is they said, if you receive Social Security benefits and you uh, appoint a fiduciary to receive your benefits, maybe because you can't get to the bank. Maybe because your eyesight's really bad, or maybe you're totally blind. But but for whatever reason, you appoint a fiduciary to receive your Social Security benefits. On that basis alone, folks were getting letters saying you're prohibited from owning firearms because you've been adjudicated to be mentally defective. What? No. I just want somebody else to receive my checks so they can help me with my finances has nothing to do with being a danger to myself or others. Yet, the Obama administration did that as well. So there were, um, the, the, uh, Rand Paul, as I, as I recall, introduced legislation to try to fix that. It was never actually passed. Um, and then, of course, we got the Biden administration be, re, be installed. And now that I've heard, exactly as James just mentioned, that that's starting to happen as well. And that's what we're talking about. Now, I have not heard uh, about state police officers showing up to anybody's door 
what I've heard is about people getting letters saying you've been adjudicated to be mentally defective under the state statute, the Brady Bill, the federal statute, I should say, that says you can't possess firearms under certain conditions. And on that basis, people being deprived of their Second Amendment rights. And that goes into a database. It goes into a, a, the, the National Instant Criminal Background Check System database, NCIC, the National Criminal Information System uh, Center. And, and, and it's just like a felony conviction. Guess what? You can't buy a gun. You can't go in and buy one. You can't get a handgun license and otherwise. We're, we're a little past the three-quarter hour. I want to take a break. But that's the issue here. And I'll tell you what we need. We need to go back to what... I think, believe it was Rand Paul, and I believe Ted Cruz also tried this as well. We need to get federal legislation to cut this off. Otherwise, it's going to be a recurrent problem. But right now, we're taking a break. I'm going to come back to this issue um, when we come back because it's a big deal, and it's something that's a priority of mine, and it's something that we really need to address, and I thank James for calling in and raising it. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Your rights, your responsibilities, your guns. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIPC. Welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Well, what do you know? It's the top of the hour and we got a short segment. I'm shocked. <laughs> I tend to do this every week, um, so, which is why I laugh. But but listen, uh, what's no laughing matter and something that affects me uh, deeply is this issue with veterans. And, and let me tell you in part why. Because here's a call I've gotten... Multiple, multiple times, uh, dozens of times over the years. Because, again, I've been doing this a long time. It's a call from a a veteran who says, hey, uh, I have a question for you. I have PTSD, and I really feel like I need some help. But I'm being told that if I go to VA and I tell them I have PTSD, there's a possibility I could lose my gun rights. Is that true? And and listen, I'm not going to lie to anybody, but what a gut-wrenching process of answering that question. Because the last thing on earth I want is someone not going and getting the help that they need and the help that they want and the help that could actually dramatically assist them in their lifestyle and in, in, in getting paid, whether it's medication or counseling or whatever it might be, it could help them, whatever whatever form that help takes. I mean, the last thing I want to do is say something to them that prevents them from going and getting that help. What kind of a person would I be? At the same time, how do I answer their question? Because the honest answer is that, yeah, you you go get a diagnosis of PTSD, you might get a letter from the VA that says you're now a prohibited person and you can't possess a firearm. And that's gut-wrenching for me. That affects me deeply. Again, I'm not going to lie to anybody, but my goodness, what a horrible position to put these veterans in who incurred their injury and put themselves in harm's way for the defense of constitutional rights in this country. And now we're going to strip theirs 
That's not acceptable. We're at the top of the first hour. It's time to take a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is The Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled that you're with us on what turned out to be a nice sunny winter day. A little chillier than I would have preferred. But hey, uh, we'll take the sunshine every time. And, and listen, I want to go back to something that caller James raised um, in that last segment. And I'm just so glad James called because this is such an important issue. And this is something that I'm going to start working on at the federal level. It's been on my to-do list uh, for a while, but really time can't wait because uh, the issue can't wait because um, law-abiding citizens are being deprived of their constitutional rights without due process. And that's the point, without due process. If a doctor simply says you have PTSD and some group of people say that that sufficiently debilitates you that you ought to get a disability rating. That doesn't mean that you're a danger to yourself or anybody else. That's not what that means. And listen, are, are, are some people with PTSD, can they become suicidal? I'm sure, yes. That's one of the reasons we lose so many officers and so many veterans every day. You've seen some of the same campaigns that I have. We're saying we're losing 21 officers a day to suicide. So I don't minimize that issue in any way, shape, or form. Can it manifest itself in in rage and and homicidal tendencies? I'm sure it can. But that's not the point. The point is that just because you have PTSD and served in the military and suffered PTSD as a result of your military experiences doesn't mean you're a danger in and of itself. And there ought to be some additional due process. That's the point. I'm a constitutional rights attorney. That's the point. There ought to be due process for you to be able to establish, with the help of a, uh, an, of an attorney, to be able to, conf- to confront witnesses against you, to be able to bring in expert testimony on your behalf and say, yes, I have PTSD, but I'm not a danger to anyone. And again, I've had this issue that I've litigated in the context of a PTSD case that resulted in red flag proceedings. It wasn't a VA disability rating because this person's not a veteran. They, they were a police officer. But they got a PTSD diagnosis. And so his own department initiated red flag proceedings against him. What's red flag? That's where guns can be seized from people deemed to be dangerous, quote unquote. And his guns, in fact, were seized after these proceedings were initiated. But here in a red flag proceeding, you have the ability to go in and have a hearing and offer evidence, and cross-examine witnesses, and have a lawyer to represent you. 
all on the issue of whether you're actually a danger to yourself or others. And and you can have PTSD, and we prove this in this case. In fact, I had multiple mental health professionals who came in, experts, and testified. I've seen this person. Yes, they have PTSD. They are in no way, shape, or form a danger to themselves or anybody else. Because that condition, post-traumatic stress disorder, can can manifest itself in a million different ways. And it has a million different levels of severity. And this idea that Veterans Administration is is diagnosing the professionals there are diagnosing someone merely with PTSD on that basis alone. They're being deprived of their Second Amendment rights with no opportunity to go in and prove that they're not dangerous or that they don't otherwise meet the definition of mentally defective, as offensive as that term is in the federal statute. That's what bothers me. And this is going to, this is, this needs to be a priority. It's all on the basis of federal law. So I don't know that there's a lot we can do here in Indiana. We could have a bill, for instance, that says local authorities won't assist in enforcing this or something, but that, that doesn't really do much. What we really need to do is go to Congress and we need Congress. And we need the Indiana delegation, the Republican delegation in Congress. Is, is Andre Carson going to pick up this? <laughs> this, this, this this torch and bear it? No, uh, of course not. But we need to go to the Republicans from Indiana in Congress, our senators, our representatives, and say this has to be fixed. We can't deprive these people of their constitutional rights with no due process. If there's due process, hey, if it's established that they're actually a danger to themselves or others, I get it. I don't I don't want a veteran killing himself because we somehow preserved his Second Amendment rights when that could have been prevented. God forbid I don't want a, a veteran to go in and commit a crime, including something horrible like a mass shooting. Of course not. Nobody's looking for that. Everybody wants to prevent that. But does that mean everybody who receives this diagnosis ought to be treated that same way? Of course not. That's the point. That's why we have due process. That's why we allow people to have lawyers, and we allow evidence to be presented. And we allow a a disposition of that issue based on the evidence specific to that case. Not something as general as a diagnosis of, of a particular condition. That's not okay. And I got to tell you, I, I, we're going to take this up at the 2A Project. It's something I've been talking about for a long time. It's not a new issue for us. But it's time to take this to our, our, our delegation in Washington. We talked to Senator Young, for instance, as a veteran, and say, oh, hell no, this is not okay, as the way this is. We need to go. And they look, there, there are congressional elections going on right now. Whole bunch of people wanted to be want to be your next representative from the state of Indiana. Let's start addressing this issue. In fact, on behalf of the Two A Project, we're going to pick this up and we're going to go out to the candidates who are running right now and say, "Would you support legislation that would prevent this this elimination of constitutional rights from U.S. veterans without due process?" Again, if there's due process, someone's truly dangerous, I get it. 
But what about when they're not? Well, we need to take this to Congress and we need to be aggressive about it. And that's going to happen. You know what? I'm telling you right now, we're going to hear more about this here on the Gun Guy Show. We're a little bit before the quarter hour, but let's go ahead and take a break. Because when we come back, we're going to shift topics a little bit. We're talking about the other bill that we successfully got through committee in the House. That's House Bill 1084. We'll spend a little bit of time on that, and then we'll switch gears. Talk a little bit about the cries for gun control arising out of the inevitable. Predictable is not even the word. It's inevitable cries for gun control that came out of the shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs uh, Super Bowl victory celebration in Kansas City, and uh, why those are a little silly when you start breaking down what actually happened in that shooting. But right now we're taking a break. Give us a call. We've had fabulous callers, great questions, great comments. Give us a call. Join the discussion. Yeah, you got a question about uh, about legal issue, about gun-related issues, what's going on in the General Assembly, a bill you'd like to see in the General Assembly. Hey, give us a call, 317 317- Two three nine ninety three ninety three. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on ninety three WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob two hundred milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Now you got a gun guy. Guy Relford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. So the other bill that we successfully got passed out of committee is House Bill 1084. And this went over to the Senate. Both the bills I've talked about, 1235 on the Gary lawsuit and 1084, I want to talk about now, um, already passed in the House. So now we're trying to get them through the Senate. And 1084 uh, would prevent the use of these credit card codes that have been committed by the International Organization of Standardization to be used specifically for transactions at gun stores. And supporting good transactions now, or excuse me, gun shop transactions now, if you go to a gun shop and use your debit or your credit card, It'll show up, uh, if it's coded, it'll show up as being retail, general retail, or sporting goods. But this new code was created in September of 2022, and it's designed to be used specifically at gun stores. And what's interesting is a bunch of gun control proponents, a bunch of of anti-Second Amendment legislators, and gun control groups actually went to this International Organization of Standardization that sets these codes and said, really want you and need you to set these codes for gun stores. And the ostensible reason is it can help to identify, quote-unquote, suspicious purchases and potentially, quote, identify a mass shooter or terrorist who's planning a terrorist act. And, and, and that's because it would show that a credit card transaction was made at a gun store. And for the life of me, I don't figure out that justification. I can't figure out that justification because, because the codes don't identify, the use of the code doesn't identify 
doesn't allow the identification of what was bought. I can go to a gun store and spend $2,000 on a safe. And it just shows up. Guy Relford used his Visa debit card and spent $2,000 at Pinnacle Firearms in Carmel. That's all it shows. It doesn't show what I bought. How does that potentially allow anyone to flag suspicious activity or a potential mass shooter? But it doesn't make any sense. You can't get there from here. So what would be the reason that gun control proponents, these are people that oppose your Second Amendment rights, would want these credit card codes to go into place, to, to be used for gun stores? Because they're totally useless for their ostensible purpose. Well, as soon as I saw these codes get introduced, get adopted, I had an immediate answer for that because something I've been talking about since 2013 was the Obama administration policy. It was an an announced campaign called Operation Choke Point. You can look it up. Google it. Operation Choke Point. And it was specifically the Obama administration through the FDIC, the Currency Commission, and others within and, and the Department of Justice included. Going to financial institutions, we're talking about insurance companies and banks and and credit unions and credit card processors, credit card companies, saying, you need to use your power as a financial institution to help us put some of these businesses out of business. And, And Operation Choke Point wasn't specifically only, unilaterally, exclusively targeted at the gun industry. They were looking at payday loan centers and some other businesses that the Obama administration just didn't like. But included within that were gun stores. And 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 financial institutions were openly requested, if they weren't ordered, to discriminate against law-abiding businesses that were federally licensed gun stores. Because listen, what we've seen over and over again is that what the anti-gun people, the anti-Second Amendment people, what they can't accomplish in the state legislatures, what they can't accomplish in Congress, they will try to accomplish through agency regulation. We've seen the ATF do that at the demand of the Obama administration. Frankly, we saw the ATF do it on orders from the Trump administration with bump stocks. But then, not just agency regulation, but also litigation, that's the city of Gary lawsuit. They're trying to put gun stores out of business by suing them into oblivion for selling a product lawfully that someone then uses in a crime. They want to hold the gun store liable. They want to hold the gun manufacturer liable for that. So what they can't get done in the legislatures, including Congress, they want to get done through agency regulation. They want to get done in the courtroom through litigation, like the city of Gary lawsuit. And they want to get done through the financial industry. That's Operation Choke Point 
in a nutshell. And so what have we seen in the last 11, 12 years? Certainly since Operation Choke Point was announced, we've seen open discrimination, blatant discrimination by financial institutions against people associated with the firearms industry. You may have heard me say on the show before, I've had a credit card processor, Square, refuse to do business with me because I'm a firearms instructor, because I sell a book on firearm safety. I've had multiple friends, associates, people I'm, 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 I'm uh, co-trainers with get their bank accounts closed. Right here on the Gun Guy Show, I had five gun shop owners in here for what I call the Gun Shop Roundtable. And I keep saying I need to do this again. I need to get it organized and do this again. But I had five gun shop owners in here. We called it the Gun Shop Roundtable. I'm sitting around in the studio. Everybody had their own microphone. And I'm asking, and this was on the tail end of COVID, and I'm asking them how they're coming out of COVID, how they survive, how is their supply, how are their prices from their suppliers, were their customers coming back into the stores, you know, how are they doing? And because I had just had a, a credit card processor refuse to do business with me, it occurred to me to ask the question, well, how many of you have been discriminated against by a bank or a credit card company or a credit card processor? All five hands shot up. And some of them said multiple times. They'd had multiple bank accounts closed or credit card processors refused to do business with them simply because they're a law-abiding, highly regulated, licensed federal firearms licensee. Incredibly regulated by ATF. ATF is right up their backsides all the time with a microscope, checking their logs, checking their records, making sure they're keeping all the forms that they're required to keep, making sure every transaction includes a background check. If they, don't, if they don't do all those things appropriately, they can lose their license and potentially go to jail. So they're fully compliant with all those regulations, all those federal laws, and banks and credit card companies are still trying to put them out of business. So when I saw in September of 2022 the International Organization for Standardization come out with this credit card code specific for gun stores, it's the first thing I thought of. Oh, hell. That's a, that's a perfect tool, that's a perfect mechanism to allow banks and credit card companies to discriminate against gun stores. Why? You see that code come across as part of a transaction, just deny it. Nope, sorry, denied. You see people using that, uh, that card enough at gun stores, cancel their card. Now, you may be rolling your eyes going, oh, come on, is that going to happen? Why would they do away with that? Why would they voluntarily relinquish that business? Why would a bank close somebody's account, somebody with perfect credit rating, with money in the bank, operating a lawful business, and just close their account and send them a certified check for the balance in their account? That's happened to multiple, multiple people I know and do business with, including a longtime law enforcement officer who's a firearms instructor that I teach classes with at Indy Arms. Received checks in the mail. Here's a balance for your accounts. We no longer want to do business with you. This is a 30-year police officer 
Longtime firearms instructor. No criminal history whatsoever. Perfect credit rating. His bank closes accounts. Just to take their anti-Second Amendment stance to a practical level. And it's not rare. That's why all five hands shot up in the air among those bank shop owners during my roundtable when I said, how many of you have been discriminated against? So House Bill 1084 would say you can't use those codes in Indiana, period. And it's specifically unlawful to discriminate in the form of denying any transaction on the basis of the fact simply that that transaction is occurring at a gun store. Interestingly enough, we got some opposition to that. I'll explain more about that, but we did get it through the committee hearing. I'll talk more about where that's going, but there was also an amendment, and I think our first caller mentioned this, and it's an important point because it was an amend- it was amended in a way, I think, to appease the banks. And look, I get it. Uh, the bankers have a powerful lobby, and uh, and 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 listen, we want to protect, especially our Indiana-based banks. We don't want to create a uh, a huge burden financially or otherwise for them. But at the same time, um, it, the bill was amended in a way that I think kind of takes the teeth out of it to a large degree. I'll talk more about that when we come back. Continue to take your calls as well. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. And actually, we've had some callers call in during this last segment. So we'll go to the phones first. We'll come back and talk about what's going on with uh, 1084. And I want to also talk about these calls for gun control arising out of the Kansas City shooting because they're a little silly when you get into the facts of how that shooting really unfolded. But right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. He's a Second Amendment attorney. He's an NRA certified firearms instructor. He's the gun guy. Guy Relford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'll tell you what, we'll go back to the discussion on legislation in just a minute, but we've had a couple callers call in. Let's go to the phone lines. Jim has called. Jim, what do you got for us? Yeah, um, I know that you represented the guy that, that uh, was the hero in the... Uh, Greenwood Mall shooting. And I, I was, did represent I, him, I, I, Eli Dickin, absolutely. Yeah. I hadn't really heard about how that panned out, and I was just wondering if you could comment on that, uh, you know, what you're able to. Well, sure, and and, and th- Jim, thanks for calling, and and thanks for asking about Eli, because um, he's a great guy and, and absolutely an incredible hero that demonstrated – um, not only heroism, but amazing marksmanship. I mean, started from 43 yards away when he engaged that shooter in the Greenwood Park Mall. But listen, I, when I say I represented him, um, his family decided to hire me while he was still being uh, questioned by Greenwood police. And uh, and that's because you, you're just really wise. You're really prudent. If you're involved in a homicide investigation, uh, it's really smart to be represented by a lawyer. And 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 even if you're absolutely 100% lawful and justified 
in in using your gun or in using force of any kind, or God forbid, in 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 shooting someone or even killing someone, you can be absolutely a thousand percent justified. It's still a homicide investigation. It's the intentional killing of a human being. And when you're caught up in a homicide investigation, it can be really, truly, absolutely helpful to be represented by a lawyer. And I, I'm not saying that because I'm a lawyer and I'm trying to, to to sell my services here. I'm saying because it's fundamentally true. And the people who have hired me have always been glad they did. And 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 Eli was um, – I've had one since, but I think he was the sixth or seventh client I've had over the years that, that have – Lawfully and justifiably, in Eli's case, heroically, taking a human life, but in self-defense or defense of other innocent people, um, and uh, and so I've been down this road and and understand that I've, I've I've had actually two more since the Eli, Eli's case, and um, and and he hired me not because he was being prosecuted, and not even because he was being sued. And in fact, in Indiana, I'm proud to say, because of a bill that I wrote and work with Jim Lucas to introduce Jim was the was the author in the legislation uh, in the legislature and uh, in 2019 we got it passed where if you lawfully and justifiably use force and self-defense in Indiana now you're immune from liability and there's a mechanism to get a lawsuit against you dismissed early on without having to incur a whole bunch of legal fees um, on the basis of the fact that you were lawful and justified and were not prosecuted uh, by authorities as a result of that use of force. And then if you get that case dismissed, as, as you should be able to under the provisions of the statute, you can recover your attorney's fees from the, the people who sued you. That is, the injured bad guy that you may have used force against, or if they're no longer with us, the, their estate, their, their family, their personal representative, um, their survivors who, who bring that lawsuit against you, you can recover your attorney's fees. And I just successfully did that in a lawsuit uh, brought by the family of a guy who was trying to break into my client's house. Middle of the night, kick, tried to kick in his front door, tried to kick in his back door, then broke a window and was climbing through the window. Absolutely, completely justified under our Castle Doctrine in Indiana. And the family still sued him. So we, A, got the case dismissed, and B, uh, have a court order uh, that they, they owe us our attorney's fees. But in Eli's case, he was not sued and he was not prosecuted. What happened is the Greenwood Police Department and the, the chief down there, James Eisen, I, I'm a real fan of Chief Eisen. I think he's a really excellent police officer. And I think he did a really nice job in that in a really chaotic circumstance of that mass shooting in the Greenwood Park Mall. And, and listen, there were some glitches. I mean, he originally announced Eli did not have a handgun license, but it didn't matter because uh, we had constitutional carry um, that had really just been passed a matter of, what, 21 days before, um, just went into effect. But uh, minor glitches like that, the timeline got adjusted a couple of times, but those are little minor, uh, and they're not even criticisms. Um, because overall, by the vast majority of that entire investigation was just incredibly professionally done, well done. I think the communication was excellent. And I've seen a lot of police departments not do nearly a nice, as nice a job um, as uh, Chief Eisen and the Greenwood Police Department did in, in investigating uh, that shooting. And that, shoot, that investigation went on uh, for several months to answer Jim's question. In terms of what was the outcome, 
Um, and not because anybody ever suspected Eli of doing anything wrong. <laughs> I got to tell you, interesting fact, and, and I think it, it's appropriate to share this, um, is the investigation started off with with some suspicion, not that Eli did anything wrong, because it's all on video. I've seen the security video of that shooting. And, and Eli absolutely, 100%, from day one, was seen for what he is, which is an absolute complete hero who stepped into harm's way and saved, I don't know, I, the, the bad guy had over 100 rounds of ammo on his person in a chest rig for his AR um, and, and 20 or 30, you're not 20, 20 or 30, but 20 or so rounds in the magazine in the gun. So could 40, 50, 60 people have been killed that day if Eli didn't step into the breach and, uh, and, and be the hero that he was? Yeah, easily. No question. Could have been the worst shooting ever, uh, mass shooting and Eli stopped it. So he's a hero, but there was some suspicion early on, not so much that he did anything wrong, but that he wasn't who he said he was. In the sense that, and I kind of chuckle at this, and I get it because I've seen the security video, and I'm not saying I wouldn't have thought the same thing if I didn't know Eli. You know, when they interviewed him, he said, hey, you know, I'm a normal guy, I have a normal job, uh, never had any uh, formal training in firearms or marksmanship. My grandfather taught me how to shoot when I was 10 or 11 years old, and that's really it. And uh, I, I don't go to ranges. I don't take training. I, I, you know, it's, I dry fire in my room quite a bit, but that's about it. When they watched the video and they, shaw, they saw how Eli conducted himself and they saw how he, he immediately used cover for, behind a big column uh, there in the, in, the, in, the, in the food court in the Greenwood Park Mall, how he braced his first four shots from 43 yards away. He braced on top of a tall mall trash can to stabilize his shot. And he made two out of four hits from 43 yards away. It's just amazing to me. And then he closed to about 25 yards, took a perfect shooting stance. And still 25 yards. 25 yards is a damn long distance with a handgun. And, you know, you go to, like, say, for instance, I was at Indy Arms teaching my class today. Their rifle range is 25 yards. And you don't see a lot of people in there with pistols with their targets clear at the back of the 25-yard range. People just don't shoot handguns at that distance very often. From 25 yards, Eli took an unsupported, freehand, as some people call it, shooting stance, fired four shots, hit all four, and then closed to about 15 feet, 20 feet, and ended the fight with this last two shots. He went eight for 10 hits total with people screaming, people running past his sight picture. He had to stop shooting, raise his muscle to allow screaming mall shoppers to run past him so he didn't shoot any innocents while he's shooting the bad guy. And the whole shooting, the bad guy, the bad guy shooting lasted 15 seconds. Bad guy was able to shoot innocent people for 15 seconds before Eli stepped up and ended that shooting by, by shooting the bad guy the first time. Now, what I'm talking about is that the Greenwood PD, and I talked to the assistant chief about this, he's, he, he, he's, he's standing over my shoulder as, as they allowed me to watch the video, the security video for the first time of the whole shooting. And he goes, you can't tell me that guy's never had any training. And, and he wasn't smiling. 
and and I get it. I watched it, and that's the same thought I had. Is I I've taken a lot of firearms training for a lot of years. I've been teaching firearms for a long damn time, and I've trained at some of the best training institutes, uh, training academies in this country with firearms. And I'm watching this guy who supposedly has no training, and uh, and he he performed as well as I could ever hope to in a million years, and then some. And Gr- Greenwood PD actually for a while is going, hey, come on, this guy can't be who he says he is. And I don't know if they had any particular theories that he was really a you know a, a, a government secret agent with all, with all kinds of advanced training who was under an assumed name with. A, with a fictitious background or something, I don't know. Uh, I can, I can, I can assure you that's not the case. That Eli's an everyday guy like me and you, and he just was incredibly composed, and 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 had a, just an, an unbelievable ability to focus and to deliver rounds on target. And uh, but that investigation went on for some time. It also was a lot longer than a typical homicide investigation because. They were trying to unlock the bad guy's phone, and the bad guy had an iPhone that you know you you punch in the code to unlock, um, and they they couldn't uh, unlock it, so they they sent it to the FBI, and the FBI put it through this program where it randomly puts in different uh, codes until it, it. I think you put it in three times the wrong one, then it locks. Well, then they have to start the whole thing up again. And so this went on for months just trying to crack this phone. They never did open the phone before they announced they were closing the investigation. And that's because between the, the bad guy's social media and his laptop and a bunch of other sources, they really figured that they had the whole thing figured out and they didn't need to get into the phone. They came out and they had a, they had a press release. Um, they invited me to the press to the, the press the presser. Um, I held kind of a press release after they did on behalf of Eli and talked to the press about, uh, you know, Eli and what was going on with him. They announced he's absolutely a hero, completely justified, no additional charges. Bad guy was the bad guy. uh, Eli was the hero. That's that. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm way past the three-quarter hour, so we're going to have a real short segment when we come back. Uh, But right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Second to none on the Second Amendment. This is the Gun Guy with Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back for the last segment here on the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIPC. And uh, by the way, I want to apologize. To, we just had a caller who had uh, a question not only about constitutional carry, but about um, recommendation for the best gun for uh, his wife. And those are both topics I love to talk about. Uh, we just don't have time. I've got a little more than a minute here to wrap the show up. So please call back next week because I'd love to discuss those things with you. I want to wrap things up by just uh, talking about what I mentioned, which is House Bill 1084, which would prevent the use of these, I think, uh, devious credit card code to allow discrimination by the financial industry. It was amended to... Uh, take out the provision that the attorney general could enforce it and institute proceedings that could result in fines up to $10,000 per violation for credit card companies or financial institutions that violated this. That was taken out, was amended, and, 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 and instead it allows enforcement to be done by the banking regulators. And I'm really concerned about this. It's, it's something we're going to have 
we're, we're going to have to try to undo when the bill goes for what's called second reading, where you can propose amendments. Because I, I really am worried about whether bank regulators would really be vigilant enough and, and aggressive enough in enforcing the provisions of this statute. And I think it needs to be enforced vigorously and aggressively. So we're going we're gonna to work on that. But more to come on that. I'll tell you what, join the two-way project. You'll keep up um, on all these issues. In the meantime, we're coming to the end of the show. It's Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.